Good. I'm welcome. I'm I'm welcome to please. I'm pleased to welcome David uh, to this recitation. I first met him when he was working for the International Committee of the Red Cross and reached out about rapid prototyping and humanitarian relief. And then I, I gave him a series of challenges that he left over. I, I mentioned I was going to be in Toulouse and he appeared and then I suggested he go do some trials in a fab lab and he I think went to Grenoble with uh, Jean-Michel and that led to uh, initially launching a, a global humanitarian lab collaboration and now that's grown to an even broader project broadly around humanitarian relief something a lot of people are excited in and for me the heart of it was a, we had a meeting at my office where there was discussion about how to create a humanitarian relief network and we realized sort of in a sense we've almost created one already but need to figure out how to leverage it and overlay it. And um, David's been doing that ever since. So David, please proceed. Excellent. So how long do I have, Neil? Um, talk up to 45 minutes and then discuss for 15 minutes. These are an hour. Okay. Um, okay. Excellent. Very good. Thank you, Neil, uh, for, the, for the intro. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, some of you I, I may have met, uh, some of you I'm, I'm sure I, I have. Uh, and there we go. Today's Fab recitation is about hashtag human fab lab. Um, and you can probably contribute to it. Uh, it's the 12th March 2018 and I'm David Ott. Uh, I'm going to give you a few information about uh, where we're coming from. I, I, I've, I've worked, as Neil mentioned, uh, in the International Committee of the Red Cross uh, or for the International Committee of the Red Cross. And I had the opportunity there to, um, to explore the, the potential of uh, digital fabrication, uh, the fab labs and the maker movement. Uh, and this led to uh, a project which was back then, uh, and we're talking about 2000, 14 2015 known as red labs uh, fab lab red cross red crescent um, and uh, this then as neil mentioned uh, gave uh, in a way uh, was then further conducted as a as a partnership in the global humanitarian lab which was created uh, in 2016 the global humanitarian lab as neil also mentioned uh, does more things and uh, is involved in uh, the, the innovation uh, process uh, in the humanitarian sector and so how David, to ac accelerate it. Can you explain yep. how um, ICRC relates to the local Red Crosses and what it does? Because it was really eye-opening for me to understand as background to this conversation what that organization does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, ICRC is the International Committee of the Red Cross and, and was was founded, uh, I would say, as a very uh, new uh, uh, humanitarian organization in 1863. Uh, out of uh, this initial organization, which still exists um, and is past 150 years now, uh, have uh, been created the National Societies of the Red Cross and the Red Crescent. Um, so we have uh, national societies of the Red Cross and Red Crescent in many, in, uh, uh, or Red Crescent, sorry, in many uh, countries uh, around the world, um, and these are all um, actually 
organized under a federation. So we have these three entities, the International Committee of the Red Cross, which uh, is now active in, in conflict situation and, and other forms of violence around the world. Um, when, there's no, when there's no conflict and other forms of violence, the, the federation and the national societies uh, are taking over. We're talking of a huge network worldwide when we talk of the Red Cross. It's uh, more than 17 million volunteers in the national uh, societies. So it's, it's quite a, an impressive figure. Um, so let me carry on. Yeah. Just the thing I wanted to underscore that was so striking was um, ICRC has amazing protocols. So when there's some of the nastiest conflicts on earth, they don't figure out who's right. They figure out who needs help. And the protocols let them go in on both sides of conflict lines. And so the question That's is not, who's good or bad or right or wrong it's who needs help where it's most needed was one of the seeds that led to the this whole thread yes indeed indeed uh, which also means that um, uh, icrc partic particularly or specifically is working in uh, in very complex environments uh, be it uh, f from the, the kind of geographical uh, settings but also political uh, uh, cultural tensions uh government uh and so on and so on so it, it is a uh, really difficult places uh, to work uh in general now imagine deploying a fab lab uh or similar uh thing in a, a remote location um where on top of that there are security issues um uh, so th this makes this this was kind of the, the the spark of this idea is to see yes these are all technologies which are more and more commonly available but how can we make a use of them or of this um, kind of fab lab network uh, connected globally uh, so how can you make use of that in the humanitarian setting yeah that was kind of the initial spark so myself uh, i discovered that uh, as a kind of um, whatsoever uh, bricoleur we say in french uh, i assembled my 3d printer and this was basically jumping in the rapids hole i think that's the english expression which led me to discover fab lab digital fabrication uh, and so on uh, so there we go. I, I myself has, have not done the Fab Academy, for example, but I'm, I'm obviously very interested if I, one day I would have the opportunity. But I, I think my mission right now is uh, somewhere else. Uh, so this uh, I, I, idea, which has been incubated in the Red Cross uh, at first and then um, more in the Global Humanitarian Lab, uh, is now evolving. Uh, and uh, we, we, it, had, it had many names, uh, doesn't, these are just labels, uh, uh, and now we are kind of looking uh, to a, towards the future, uh, to, which is a human fab lab. Um, more on that probably in the coming months. Uh, what we target uh, in terms of when we talk about human fab labs, so what is really behind this, this effort? This effort is, uh, while you're in Boston, deploying a fab lab is probably easy, even though people in Boston might think they have a lot of problems. Um, or the same applies, in, I don't know, in Paris, Tokyo, Berlin, Milan, uh, and I guess even in Nairobi. Um, uh, because these are relatively well-functioning environments, 
but in a humanitarian setting, you you may have um, you may have energy uh, restrictions or constraints or, or lack uh, thereof. You may have uh, connectivity issues and constraints. Um, uh, you yeah, you have security uh, concerns uh, uh, in in quite a few places. So uh, how can we bring that <clears throat> to the field? Nevertheless, um, so we had to think a little bit about that. And I think uh, if I, if I'm trying to formalize what we're trying to achieve here in a few words, uh, it's uh, to develop something which is action actionable. So. Um, uh, you will see later, I will talk about the model. Um, it's, it's a whole body of knowledge that we are currently accumulating, but uh, hope to be further accumulating uh, in the future uh, and, to uh, and to transform it into a model. Uh, the affordability is an important component and uh, I've been heavily inspired by people like Bart Backer, for example, uh, in the Netherlands, who is working on mini fab labs. Um, this idea of having like fab lab capacities uh, all gathered in a little bundle of $10,000, for example, this 10K fab lab is, is a very exciting prospect um, because uh, first of all, this makes it very real and tangible as a solution. Um, but uh, also potentially could even be uh, packaged, packaged in a way that it's uh, replicable. Um, and I understand that uh, developments, uh, and Neil, please correct me, are um, current developments in the, in, the, in the domain are pushing towards um, more powerful machines, which uh, could be even made in a fab lab which would also reduce the cost if we can produce things in a fab lab. This will uh, definitely have an impact and I, I will come back on that. So affordability, appropriateness uh, doesn't make, uh, we have to make sure that what you are deploying is appropriate to the situation. Um, we wanna have an open approach, uh, open and, and shared with the rest of the world. Uh, the rest of the world can also benefit from it and contribute uh, uh, we, uh, to it, uh, you will see concretely. Uh, it has to be impactful, that's important. Uh, when you deploy such approaches or initiatives or solutions in the humanitarian and development world, uh, you, you have to kind of show that you are doing a difference. Uh, and this is, this is actually essential. Uh, without that, we, um, we, we, we will not get the credibility in terms uh, of uh, this, um, this initiative, Human Fab Lab, is, um, is adding value to the situation uh, or is uh, interesting in terms of cost uh, impact ratio uh, and things like that, impactful and sustainable. Uh, and you will see, I, uh, since, since I work on that, I have gone uh, towards more and more locally produced uh, ideas uh, in general, um, because this is simply the reality. Uh, the humanitarian context is a difficult one. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a humanitarian complex if it wasn't complex, remote, uh, difficult. It would be a normal situation. Um, so stay that. Sorry. One yep. suggestion, if I may, um, the title Human Fab Lab suggest all the other fab labs are inhuman. Yeah, no, yeah, no. 
yeah. Maybe add like an I, humani, fab lab, or, or something to, to indicate you mean mm. sort of humanitarian. You, you yeah. know so let me let, let yeah yes and uh, I, I kind of understand what you mean but uh, you have to understand what we mean by this is that it's more open in fact we wanted to go away from the pure humanitarian fab lab because we realize that uh, if if the humanitarian context is the most complex uh, in a way, uh, this can also be applied or beneficial or applied in other uh, situations like development uh, uh, context. So uh, calling it just humanitarian fab lab, the initiative was was a bit um, too restrictive and not really realistic. But we cannot call it humanitarian and development fab lab. That kind of doesn't make any sense. So we wanted to keep the human side of it. Uh, of this whole kind of situation and keep the human fab lab uh, that's the the reasoning and by the way uh, you also have now um, some of your fab labs there's one called uh, human lab and but they're very uh, specialized on uh, assistive devices uh, so just flag this as something to discuss and follow up because yeah, I suspect yeah. every lab visiting would have a reaction wait a minute isn't that what i do i i, I I want to help people. Mm, I guess. So, yeah. Maybe so, it's a challenge. Maybe it's a challenge. Who knows? Yeah. And so e either the title is meant to apply to the whole yeah. Fab Lab network, mm. or you want to sort of tighten what you mean by the title. Yes. But yeah. I would flag that as something both to, to discuss and work on. No, no problem. And I think this will still evolve. Right now, I'm labeling it like that, and with the with the kind of. Uh, um, uh, note uh, which it doesn't mean that the other ones are not human okay 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 uh, but i think this is still open <laughs> to discussion let me let me carry on with the with the presentation um hold on a second target um this uh, this slide is not in the right spot i'm sorry there we go. We're back online. Edit that out. <laughs> um, so um, more about this idea of a model. Um, so obviously, the, 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 we, we, we have to proceed. Uh, we have to proceed in, a, in an organized manner, right? When we are deploying uh, things in a humanitarian context, uh, you have to plan for it, and, uh, and things have to be organized. And in fact, uh, this is also one of the reasons why uh we were so attracted uh to the fab labs uh, is uh, because there's an effort uh, uh in terms of standardization in a way I'm, I'm not sure standardization is the right word uh i i see it like that a very uh, an, an organized approach um with defined capacities with defined uh, kind of goals a framework around it which also uh, corresponds to most humanitarian kind of approaches you have to be organized so provided that kind of the fab lab network was already kind of proposing uh, uh, this general approach yeah with this flexibility but still uh, I, I think this is something uh, which resonated uh, also well uh, the, the the model part is that I believe even uh, we, we know we have colleagues working in, in similar situation um, doing other type of uh, maker um, uh, space deployments or resource center deployments. Um, but 
there's that it's actually difficult to work with in, in a humanitarian context because in most cases you need specific authorizations to be there yeah you're not just going to go into a refugee camp and set up a, a lab on your own uh, this is these are places which are managed and organized and uh, res respond to law local international type of laws so it's 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 mostly different difficult um, environments so the model was uh, this idea of a model of developing a model of fab labs which can be uh, easily or uh, successfully deployed in, in humanitarian and development settings that's really the idea it doesn't mean that this could not be used for other type of fab labs and i think potentially it could be actually very useful uh, because we are forced to show uh, the, uh, impact uh, and uh, to show impact we need to measure impact uh, and put in, in in place the right frame frame for that uh, otherwise you can't measure uh, and this could actually also be uh, useful and interesting for other uh, labs who also i think more and more have to show some type of impact to their donors uh, yeah uh, so the, the hold on a second the home phone is ringing uh, the, this model uh, started uh, uh, how can i shut that off well i'm just gonna let it ring um this model um this this model here well this is not really the model this is the component of uh, these are the components which we think belong uh, almost physically in a in a humanitarian fab lab so there's nothing really uh, new to to you here we have hardware we have uh, infrastructure components we have the facilitator and and what comes with it and then we have uh, the platform uh, the infrastructure though is a bit special because as i said uh, humanitarian and development environments are not like the rich uh, environments uh, most of us know uh, so when we talk about power uh, well, in some cases, we have to produce the power. Uh, when we talk about connectivity, well, in some cases, we only have a slight 3G signal, and maybe we can use that uh, uh, and plug it to a, a Wi-Fi router and use that as some type of connectivity. Uh, in terms of shelter, also, we have to be uh, aware that in some cases, we, we may have a, a building in, an old, in, in, in a school, or sorry, a room in a school. In some cases, shelters uh, uh, will have to be kind of provided as well uh, furniture and so on uh, all of that uh, is very I think specific to the humanitarian Sorry, world David, not ex not exclusively but very specific yes before you go on I would just note there are two things from this that have come from the discussions that I think are of interest to everybody else that are a little different and of broader interest one is when you deploy this um, you can't have to hire a Fab Academy graduate to carry it. So the knowledge has to go with the box. Yeah, and, exactly. And you can't have to have DigiKey delivering to your doorstep, so the supplies have to go with the box. Yeah. And I think one of the really interesting parts of this discussion is there's a lot of interest in the Fab Lab in a box for many different purposes, just to make it cheaper for schools, all of that. I think the humanitarian mission can help drive this for everybody. And so I think it's sort of a tail wagging the dog rather than you pulling on the network. I think this can help drive the network is a very important thing. 
exactly and i'll show like thank you neil and i'll show later uh and i, I like the prospect of that i'll show you uh, i'll show later uh how how the network is implicated so when you go from this model so the, there's two slides here you see yeah um uh this is the second slide uh, uh, and in fact having now for over a year uh been on missions in the field uh, in refugee settings and other settings in, in, in Greece, in Gaza, in Kenya, in Burkina Faso, uh, to start with an upcoming Ukraine, Romania, um, uh, all, all, different, all different projects, all different settings, um, most of them actually with an NGO here in Switzerland called Terre des Hommes, who is actually really uh, um, championing this now. And, uh, and, and pushing this forward. Well, gathering this experience now, uh, uh, we are working on this Fab Lab canvas, understand human Fab Lab canvas, sorry, um, uh, which uh, is, which happens to be as a set of questions uh, that you can uh, actually ask yourself or which are mandatory uh, to have in terms of information and i'm talking here maybe only of the basic information right but uh, these are information which which will drive the development of a specific uh, fab lab in the field and it starts at the top right left uh, with project and when we look uh, now um, um, I'm checking the time when I'm looking up there. Uh, when when we look retrospectively, uh, we see that there are discussions in Fab Lab deployments in the field, uh, which are already important, very important, which provide very important elements in terms of what for the life of the Fab Lab. Let's put it that way. We need to better understand the context. Um, <coughs> Uh, is it in a in a in a in a child exploitation context? Is it in a refugee setting? Uh, is it in a protection uh, setting, and so on? Uh, the priorities: training, female inclusion, uh, integration with local community, um, and so on. Uh, specific, uh, more specific objectives: uh, the funding sources, uh, and obviously the the kind of uh, uh, overall kind of understanding of the budget elements. Uh, who are the stakeholders involved internationally, locally, uh, both from the affected communities? Uh, uh, we have met with community leaders. We have met with children. We have met with youth, teenagers. It all depends on the project and the program, obviously, such a, a, a fab lab is uh, linked to. Um, understand an exit strategy. Um, funding is not always uh, uh, ensured for long periods, uh, over a year. Um, how? how to make sure that even if funding was not ensured for a specific humanitarian development program, uh, that potentially this space could still be sustainable. Um, and all of these information are already uh, there when we start talking with, uh, with your customers or with, you, with your partners uh, who are interested, um, like a humanitarian organization who is interested uh, in deploying a fab lab. But then comes uh, usually a mission uh, 
needs assessment and scoping mission to the field. Um, and kind of um, already there, you have some information from the project definition, uh, initial project definition, then you go to the field and you see. Um, and this is also a very important element. Uh, and um, th this kind of field mission obviously will come and enrich all the project information yeah, about the stakeholders, the objectives and, and, and stuff like that. But it will also inform you uh, much better about what's the shelter situation, what's the power, connectivity, furniture, uh, and so on, safety, transportation, logistics, imports, tax, all of that uh, is usually stuff you can start uh, also having a, a better understanding on once you do a, a a mission uh, on the ground uh, and then from this kind of uh, enriched understanding uh, after this mission you can start also uh, imagining how the facilitation of the uh, human fab lab will be uh, uh, can we hire internationally uh, or in fact is it better uh, uh, and it's usually preferable to hire locally um, where how uh, what, what will be the, the, the focus uh, of the space, uh, what will be taught, so we start to develop a program, um, workshops, trainings, and so on. Uh, but this also, this kind of uh, assessment mission will then also feed uh, information into what hardware are we going to ship there, yeah? Uh, what, what is going to be the actual capacities that we can provide, you know? When you have like limited connectivity, you have to seriously think about providing, uh, for example, Chromebooks, right? Uh, unless the Chromebooks can work uh, offline. Um, or, uh, or, I mean, when you have to generate your own electricity, this is also an important component, uh, which will uh, obviously guide you in the terms of what hardware you want to send there. You understand that you want to develop, deploy a modern digital, uh, digital and digital fabrication space, which empowers affected communities. But how can you make it? How can you concretely make it happen in such uh, difficult spaces? A uh, good example, for example, uh, a good example is uh, uh, what will be, um, what will, what will the fab lab in Gaza look like? Provided that it is very difficult to import uh, anything into that um, into that uh, piece of land, right? Uh, so, uh, and again, uh, I'll, I'll show you a few answers to that later. So, this human uh, fab lab canvas is actually uh, really promising because uh, we use it now as a guide to um, develop. Uh, and plan fab lab deployments. Uh, pro if we can provide uh, information on all of these points, we have a very good understanding of what our fab lab will look like. This will guide our shopping list and so on. And in the future, this will be, uh, guide the production of a, in a fab lab of that fab kit. There's obviously also a platform component uh, which we are, are working on. Uh, and this is just a mock-up there. Um, we are prototyping now the content or the knowledge uh, online, uh, but we understand that we would like to develop uh, a, a platform approach to this whole thing uh, where we can share uh, and but also benefit from uh, and create uh, hopefully a community uh, who would be contributing to this effort as well and who can benefit from that.
uh, we have students from a uh, local uh, masters in innovation and um, uh, business uh, who are actually working on that with us and we we, we hope to do some project uh, progress in terms of the overall user experience and, and business model uh, behind it we are engaged in a set of proof of concepts i mentioned them. we have one in greece which is ongoing uh fab foundation has been involved uh there and obviously fab foundation and generally speaking uh neil in the background are uh, since now almost four years uh constantly involved in those discussions um uh, very interesting stories to tell about that uh there's a video online which you can find about fab lab terre des hommes uh, in greece it's on vimeo uh, the little red uh, circle up there means that uh, we, we are working with the Fab Lab network specifically on, on these projects. David, what is Terre des Hommes? Terre des Hommes is a Swiss NGO uh, which does both humanitarian as well as development uh, actions uh, and is focusing on ch uh, child protection uh, issues. Um, so their focus is, is mainly children and, uh, um, well, youth uh, under 18. And they become a very strong partner in the project. They have become the strongest partner in the project, yes. Yes, they have, uh, they have actually realized uh, after Greece and while Greece was unfolding, Greece is almost a year old now, while Greece is unfolding, uh how much it draws uh the uh, and interests and enables uh and as people who go there and we're talking of uh, refugees from the syrian war and the other war uh conflict areas there as uh, people go there they say it's it's their it's 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 their best time in their whole kind of uh experience uh, so far and as refugees uh it has motivated some to to carry on their um refugee, uh, well, integration in Europe, and they want now to study uh, mechanical engineering, uh, which for me is, is just the flagship example of things you would like to hear from someone. But there's many other ways, Fab, there's many other ways these spaces can actually uh, benefit uh, them. Gaza, Gaza is another proof of concept, which is already fairly advanced, but not yet deployed. We have the funding for it. We have been visiting, we, are, we have started on the canvas, as I showed. We are, so people are now looking what can they source locally amongst all of that. Uh, I think one of the solution will be this, what you see on the screen right now, I guess, yeah, uh, is a, I think, a Prusa um, uh, model 3D printer, which has, I think, been entirely manufactured, except for the step promoters or some components in Gaza um including the nozzle actually uh, which has been drilled out uh directly there um and to be honest i think this is a very likely oops we just lost david so, sorry i'm, I'm still here yeah can you hear me yeah sorry um Hold on a second. I'm just going to put on do not disturb. Actually, I should have done that uh, earlier. There we go. Uh, yeah, so locally produ local produce is actually, I think, uh, the, the way to go. Neil, are you still there? Uh, am I still? Yep, I'm here. Go ahead. Yeah. 
Yep, uh, local produce is probably the best situation we could uh, we could uh, we could do there, and we can imagine other tools. Uh, in, I don't know, based on a Dremel, for example. There's quite a few things you can get there, but uh, some important things are difficult. And then if you if you if you need filament, this is also something you cannot import. So there again, you have to produce locally. Uh, really interesting. I think these these people are actually at the, at the forefront of applying the the full model uh, in terms of making their machines and uh, uh, their supplies and, and so on. Anyway, but that is separate. This is not a terre des hommes. There, I'm talking of people I've met in Gaza. Um, another project in Burkina Faso. Uh, so, hold on a second. Uh, the Gaza uh, project is about uh, not refugees. Um, it's it's uh, it's working with children uh, with delinqu delinquent youth. Uh, the idea there is to see whether, in the longer uh, term, we could use uh, a fab lab, a human fab lab, as a, a new type of vocational training. Uh, facility instead of learning electricity, carpentry, masonry, which in Gaza happen now to be kind of sat saturated market uh, because you only need so many. <clears throat> uh, is there ways of of, uh, of of creating new type of professionals, especially considering the digital economy, which uh, Gazaites are already using a lot? Uh, well, there's already people using uh, working in Gaza for companies abroad, uh, and I think. Uh, th there is something to dig there in terms of livelihood uh, as well. Um, Burkina Faso, this is in a child uh, exploitation uh, environment, child exploitation in gold mining, in artisanal gold mining. Uh, kids uh, 8, 9, 10, 11 are working on those gold mining sites. The picture you can may maybe make out the shaft. This shaft is a straight shaft, 70 meters. Uh, and sometimes uh, you end up in there as well. Uh, but if they don't do that, they carry heavy loads uh, and uh, are exposed to chemicals to treat uh, the ore uh, and to extract uh, anyway the the precious uh, gold. Um, uh, so how could a fab lab there help? Uh, because there's a lot of school dropouts, obviously, in such an environment. We're talking of a, a remote area in Burkina Faso. Um, electricity has to be produced locally. You see here uh, a solar panel who is driving a fan, who is uh, is pumping uh, air from the surface down a a tube, uh, a, a long sleeve made out of plastic bag uh, taped together 70 meters down uh, to provide air to the guy at the bottom. Um, so there's there's different ways uh, the fab lab there is now envisioned one it is to kind of work on the school dropout to attract them again and potentially uh, facilitate reinsertion into the school system uh, by proposing them uh, something a bit more interesting uh, maybe if i may use that word sorry to the teachers connected here uh, the other one is to improve uh, potentially the quality of the work or the safety of the work of the gold mining work. We know that we will not have a 100% conversion rate. Uh, people um, use are still going to work, but potentially they will identify problems or help uh, in solving uh, problems, and uh, and also the local community could uh, could benefit from that in maybe developing a new, safer, more efficient approaches to their artisanal um, um, uh, uh, work. Another project here 
uh, very interesting in uh, in Kenya. We we have recently visited two big refugee camps, one next to Somalia, uh, and the other one next to South Sudan. We're talking of places where there's 200,000 people plus uh, refugees from various nationalities who end up there for more than 20 years. Um, how how can a fab lab help either uh, now in the local integration? How could it actually uh, spark a new local economy, new skills? Uh, because some people obviously will be moving back to their ho home uh, territories, but uh, others uh, will not be able to. Uh, so the reality is that uh, now we have for more than two decades, people, uh, two, more than 200,000 people in some places. Um, uh, so interesting, but also how could it help uh, in retur with returnees, people who go back, for example, to Somalia? Um, how could this actually uh, help them then locally? Uh, we could imagine potentially having a group uh, uh, of people who have uh, proven uh, to to be uh, very interested and motivated by such a human fab lab space, come there regularly and develop skills, start to teach others and so on and so on. Maybe there uh, uh, we could imagine something like a startup kit, uh, which would be the basics to set up your own space locally. Uh, back home in Somalia, this could also be something that could be maybe worked out and made attractive to donors. So there's a, there's a lot of a kind of a prospect uh, going on here in the pipeline. We also have Eastern Ukraine, a difficult environment, uh, Romania, uh, not a humanitarian environment as such, but a development environment. All of these different uh, humanitarian slash development spaces actually uh, have a certain amount of impact on deploying fab labs. And I'm trying here to summarize the most obvious ones. Unfortunately, I see the time uh, I will not be developing them, uh, but uh, you will understand uh, what I mean. Uh, and this is pretty obvious, uh, deploying a fab lab, and some of you may also already be be experiencing difficulties in some of your deployments because you are yourself deploying fab labs in remote places and you know what I'm talking about here, uh, but has an impact on what you can provide, what you have to compromise on, what you may want to find partners and so on and so on. There, there, there are real problems. The more we will be independent, uh, uh, the easier it will be to plan for uh, humanitarian fab lab deployments. Power, for example, we could imagine uh, somebody helping us and we have started talking with EPFL here in Switzerland. Uh, maybe some students could be interested, maybe others, uh, to develop a power management module which would enable uh, pretty much to connect most solar panels or other type of uh, renewable energy sources and maybe other non-renewable energy sources to um, batteries and so on and so on uh, to eventually be able to produce uh, locally the electricity which is uh, required. Um, so it has a massive impact obviously on the infrastructure and this impact on the infrastructure for me currently is one of the lead drivers uh, of the, the shape of what the fab lab will have in the end uh, once it's deployed. Uh, the other one is the impact on facilitation when in, we we use fab lab facilitator instead of fab lab manager uh, kinder word um, but it's i i guess the same uh, same idea behind it it's the fa facilitation and safety training coaching and an overall program 
uh, of the of the space. Um, how can you find the resources locally uh, in a sustainable manner, uh, and how to actually also train them, uh, train the future generations uh, of facilitators locally uh, uh, are interesting uh, impacts here. The other one is obviously on the hardware. What can you deploy uh, in such places is heavily influenced by the infrastructure and other uh, context-specific um, uh, variables, as for example, we've seen in Gaza, or, or imagine a remote uh, refugee camp in the, in, in, uh, located in South Sudan, um, uh, in Kenya, uh, close to South Sudan. Uh, these are all uh, specific uh, places where obviously uh, they will have impact on uh, a sustainable uh, hardware deployment. Speaking of sustainability, um, projects we have currently uh, going on uh, specifically addressing sustainability is impact measurement. Sorry, the slide is pretty empty. Uh, but how to measure impact? Uh, I mean, uh, monitoring and evaluation is good, um, showing that you have 24 average uh, visitors a day in your space uh, and that many people attending a workshop is good. But in fact, uh, we have to provide much more information in terms of what people, the delta between when they come to the space and uh, after a while and maybe when they leave uh, before uh, the next leg if they are refugees moving on. Uh, and we, we have to find ways of measuring uh, on their uh, psychosocial, uh, on their education, uh, on their, I don't know, creativity and, uh, and, and other uh, variables um, as well. And, and this is important work. Uh, we are working on fab machine in terms of sustainability, a very important uh, element. I mean, uh, even in Greece, deploying the fab lab in Yanina in, East, uh, in Western Greece, was uh, has proven in the long run to be really challenging. First of all, you have massive import taxes, uh, which makes everything really expensive, and and uh, and the postal system not ideal. Yeah, uh, and then when something breaks and you purchased it in the state, and this company doesn't have an international kind of facility, uh, you are stuck with a, a machine, which in our case uh, was pretty much unused for four months. That was the laser cutter. Uh, and then shipping it back costs money, getting it back costs money again, and so on and so on. Um, and these are just examples of what, what, what it was like, and probably this must kind of seem familiar as well for you in other parts of the world. But imagine now doing that in rural Burkina Faso or, or, or in, in, in Kenya, in, close to the South uh, Somalian uh, uh, Sudanese border. Uh, I mean, this all pushes uh, again towards this idea of developing uh, digital fabrication machines in the in a fab lab itself we could develop for example in kenya uh, in nairobi i mean you have people and friends like uh, the kamau gashigi behind gearbox they have the capacity to uh, develop such a fab machine if it was designed and then uh, support it uh, from within Kenya instead of uh, uh, waiting for an international supply chain. Now we build the capacity locally, maybe people in the future are able to build their own machines. Uh, but this is only feasible if there's actually a, a concentrate, a focused effort on de developing such machines. Yeah? So the idea of the fab machine, which actually the network is now exposed to since last uh, 
last fab event in uh, in Santiago uh, is a fab lab made a digital fabrication machine which can replicate itself uh, and which has modular end effectors uh, so that instead the, the vision here is that instead of shipping a 3d printer which will eventually break uh, a laser cutter which will eventually break a mill because it, it might not break uh, and so on and so on uh, you would be shipping a one machine which could then be either adapted uh, for different uh, users or potentially create other machines uh, locally uh, and this seems a bit, a bit geeky but in fact no if you if you use that activity of making your local machine you can use it as an actual, an, an actual education tool and uh, start to work on the sustainability as well and, and different um, different idea. This, so this idea of a fab machine here uh, should also be community driven. I'm talking of global community to make sure that we're always imp implementing the best uh, solutions instead of spinning off into a local kind of uh, uh, proprietary uh, hardware. Uh, and, uh, and another very important component is that there is a con uh, con conscient effort uh, uh, of, of a training of trainer approach uh, to, towards the development of this fab machine. It's not only about having a machine, it's also about being able to teach about it, to teach with it, and to teach people to create their own machines. Uh, David, time check, we should get to Q&A. Yeah, we're coming there. Coming there, two more slides, I think. Uh, another sustainability component where the fab, the network is involved as well, is this training of trainer approach. And we have actually Enrico Bassi and Open.Lab in Italy who are supporting us there. And I think maybe online we have uh, the, the Fab Academy student who is actually contributing to this effort by developing weekly tutorials uh, on each of the topics you're, you're giving, Neil, uh, so that they can use in the in, in a human Fab Lab setting. Not only, obviously, but here we will have material which we are kind of developing with this low-tech, low-resource, low-bandwidth uh, uh, kind of uh, environment approach, but also a, a model which then can be used uh, uh, and uh, have other people contribute to it. Uh, the Fab Container, uh, Luciano, uh, our work, Luciano, Billion are, are, are kind of pushing that thread for, forward. Uh, container box type of thing, which can be made in a Fab Lab, parametrics which can be used to ship the human Fab Lab around the world uh, and to protect it. Themes, very interesting themes. Each of these different remote places calls up on a variety of themes where the Fab Lab network can probably contribute with knowledge and, and solutions and research uh, opportunities. The question of upcycling trash, rural technologies, renewable energies, uh, digital inclusion, education and economy and others are themes and we are including those themes as uh, organizing forces within um, within the fab lab de de uh, de deployments now uh, for example fab cycling some of you may already uh, know this uh, google docs document where we have started collecting information about the upcycling and downcycling with fab labs is an example there uh, thank you very much sorry it uh, lasted uh, too long and uh, there's much more to say uh, yeah that's it uh, let me. Can you unpack the the previous slide? So some of these applications, it doesn't matter what you do in the fab lab. One slide more. 
Um, it doesn't matter what you do. The simple fact of the Fab Lab itself is learning about the technology and engagement and all of that. But talk about the range of what people want to make. What are the examples you've encountered of what, what they did make and what they wish they could make? Yeah. Uh, okay, a few things here. So, yes, you could do all of them in a fab lab. The, the problem is, I mean, everything is very scarce uh, in a humanitarian setting, even though you could imagine that spending 20 years in a, in a refugee camp, you have all the time of your life, right? Uh, but uh, we cannot generalize everything, and we're trying to set up a model here uh, with themes which would be driving kind of structuring uh, activities, forces, frameworks uh, for, a, for, a, for a given fab lab. Um, why? Because again, time is limited when you have refugees who come for a few months and then they may move on. You can only uh, address so many uh, problems or you can provide them only so many inputs. So you may, you may want to be really good at doing that and focus on, on, a, on a few of those to start with. Uh, this doesn't mean that we couldn't be using rural technologies in a place where it hasn't been deemed interesting. Uh, so that's how to answer to your question, I think. No, but I'm asking not in general, I'm asking in specific. Can you just illustrate some of the requests, okay. the projects that have been done and some of the requests? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Not general, but specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, in fact, in, in Greece, the only project where we, where we currently can report on, uh, people have been working on projects it's more like their their own projects yeah uh developing their interests uh whether it is by using the dig digital um, uh, sewing and uh, embroidery machine uh whether it is with a 3d printer the laser cutter or even hand tools actually um they've been working on their own projects For, uh, in greece one guy uh has a kind of put a trend with the boy community to develop cars to design the best cars and so on so it's more like uh appropriation of uh of these technologies i would say in these places in other places so in greece in a, in a, in kenya for example people uh, potentially would like to uh, develop livelihood out of that uh, exactly how they imagine that is 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 a bit uh, is a bit difficult, but um, in the long run, uh, uh, I mean, let let me come back on what I just said. It's not difficult to to see how the the, the situation is when we are talking with someone like an affected uh, somebody from the affected community uh, in a refugee camp or so a refugee. We have we are trying to understand where they're coming from, what their what their reality is. Uh, do they have smartphones? Do they have mobile phones? Do they have no phones? Uh, actually, in uh, in Kakuma, 60% of the people we've surveyed we've surveyed 80 people have actually smartphones. Interestingly, in, in a refugee camp, but data is difficult to acquire. Um, so, uh, 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 so in, in that case, they see it as potentially uh, new ways uh, of developing livelihood skills. So, for example, the people who are currently in vocational training in a sewing uh, tailor tailoring class, uh, they could see, oh yes, that potentially they could develop new skills there. Yeah. Uh, other people uh, mentioned uh, the problematics of renewable energies uh, as well. So. Yeah, you see, uh, Neil, the, the, the difficult part here uh, is that we are 
really developing all of that knowledge right now. Each successive proof of concept which you are deploying will uh, provide more insight into that. So the reason, one of the reasons I'm asking is I think there's a gap right now between the early work done in these humanitarian human fab labs and what people watching can do in their fab labs. And so real core critical functions like, you know, lighting or communication or telemedicine wouldn't be hard to do as Fab Academy final projects in a fully set up Fab Lab with all the knowledge over here, but aren't yet getting to the field. And I think one great collaborative challenge is to raise the level of what people realize they can accomplish in the field. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, there, there are many. What, there, there are already many hooks here. Each each one of those pages where you see this red uh, circle there with a link inside uh, is actually already an existing uh, interface, basically to to contribute. Each of the themes here we have to develop and provide information. And obviously, uh, Vigyam Ashram has uh, already quite a few, uh, and, and Yogesh are working on quite a few uh, solutions there that can already be kind of uh, reused. Um, so that is something. Then there's this power management uh, uh, problem we are having. Uh, in Gaza, for example, the place we visited, they have installed a five kilowatt hour uh, installation, uh, solar uh, installation with the management, with the panels, the management and the batteries. It, it seems they managed to do that for five thousand um, uh, dollars, which is kind of surprising. But um, uh, that is the type of thing I think we also have to get really good at uh, finding so flexibility to this, there. To make this concrete. Yeah. There's another point, Neil. There's another right. point. There's another point is computing and design power. You know, uh, currently we're shipping laptops uh, from the big brands and each of them costs around one thousand uh, dollars, maybe less or maybe more, depending on where you buy it. Uh, with uh, with you, Neil, you suggested using Chromebooks. I, I think this is really a very, very good idea. I, I, I like it. And then uh, install a, a Linux distribution on, on top of that. Uh, the problem is, I don't know how much uh, how much software you have available that would be running on a Chromebook Linux distribution installed, uh, which would enable kids, for example, to do, to do 3D modeling offline, because again, uh, you can do it on Tinkercad. Sorry, David, just for time management, the answer is, there's yeah. great answers to that. I know, but, that, but that's, but where, that's, where, that's where we need support. These are the type but, of but questions part, we, we yeah. have right now. But, just to lead into questions, if somebody either wanted to learn about needs or wanted to offer solutions, how do they work with this project? Well, connect with me currently as the interface here. How do they connect with you? My email, which is nowhere on these slides. Okay. Um, so if you add your email. Um, so let, um, anybody, questions or comments while David adds his email? Um, Jan here from Aachen. Hi, David. Oops. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Um, uh, that was a great presentation. Thank you. And I, I, I think I, I met you a couple of years ago at, at Fab Academy. I was at a Maker Fair last weekend and saw a project that very much sounds like this uh, bridging gap that Neil was talking about. Um, uh, there was an inventor there uh, who had realized that a lot of developing countries, people in developing countries, uh, didn't actually have access to any kind of glasses, eye care, you know, simple 
affordable glasses. And, and he went on to create a, uh, a nonprofit called $1glasses.org, which you may have heard about, I'm not sure. Um, I was really impressed by his solution because uh, he had a little booth there and um, was showing how he basically, the team goes out to the location and takes a little wire bending machine um, that then can create glass frames according to size for different kids and, and adults. And then they get very cheap plastic lenses from China and they can actually make these glasses available to the local folks for about $1. And then of course the idea is that somebody there takes that machine, learns how to make them, and then uh, goes on to sell them in that in that space. Um, and I, I looked at this box that he had that had the wire bending on top. And of course I thought, oh, this is gonna be like a digital fabrication wire bender. And he opened it up and instead of technology, it was just his supplies and, and, and there was no electronics, no power, nothing involved whatsoever. And he said, that's the only way we can actually make sure that this thing doesn't break down after three weeks and you need a soldering iron to fix it in the middle of you know, the Gaza Strip or something. Um, his, his solution is a completely handmade, you know, or a, a tool that's completely hand operated and it needs some skill to make those wires, but he's created a beautiful little machine that helps you guide the right notches and you know, snap the lenses in and he, he's able to get them to these folks for a dollar in, in parts and then actually basically educate local glass makers to, to, to sell these then for, for a small profit. I thought it was a good example of something that you, you could come up with as a concept at least, I guess, even maybe in the final project. Um, and that Sorry, definitely makes a good difference. One of my students got interested in making his own glasses. So he's been experimenting with, if you just take a Modella and you machine at its resolution and you do a little polishing, it turns out that it's good enough to make reasonable lenses. Oh, so you even replace the lenses with something that you make locally. Yeah. <laughs> that will be the next step, yeah. But the kind of the, this was a, an interesting mix between sort of the, the, the maker ideal and then realizing the you know economies of scale. There's a big Chinese manufacturer who's just said, yeah, we're gonna just run a little make of these, you know, a little batch of these lenses for you guys and, and you can have them for 20 cents per lens or something. And that made that project actually viable. So these guys have been going out for a couple of years and selling these. So $1 glasses is really interesting. You, you guys should definitely connect if you, if you haven't already. Yep. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would not be uh, unsurprised. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, somebody in a in a human fab lab or in a fab lab in a, in a humanitarian or development setting would also come up with such solutions for himself. Mm -hmm. uh, the point is not digital for uh, at tout prix. Uh, the, the 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 point is to is is to bring the digital uh, into um the, the digital cap the digital capacity uh the digital reasoning basically into uh into part of the solution solving or uh, problem solving skills I, I guess for me it calls upon uh things like uh, automation uh, automation does not necessarily mean i guess uh electricity it could mean it could be done in other ways like uh, like the example that you mentioned Jan. Uh, uh, but I, I think the, the real power here and the real opportunity that we have is to bring today's technologies, the ones where big companies uh, are making big money out of the new ways of working and thinking and designing, uh, the, the, the new technologies which uh, are empowering our students uh, in, in Switzerland and in Boston and in Italia, uh, to make these technologies available uh, also 
uh, to a much broader community. We have most, I think currently the, most of the uh, ingredients for this to happen exist. We have global connectivity, which is more and more spread. Uh, we have global communities. Uh, and I think um, this, this is something that can be achievable now. One more suggestion. We started Fab Cloud in Santiago because there are people like David with Human Fab Lab, the glasses, there are projects like those examples, there's opportunities, issues, and there's websites, and everybody keeps starting them all over again. The goal of Fab Cloud is to have a shared space where you can have a project, you can have people, you can have issues, and you can have websites. They can have very different front ends, but can share back-end infrastructure. And so one suggestion might be to take advantage of that as you build these connections. Okay, very good, yes, indeed. It's we're not we're not there yet on a technical uh, development uh, level. And, and again, just to stress uh, that each, each of these projects over and over redoes all of solutions to those same things, and so the idea is yeah. to build one platform rather than keep doing do overs. Yes, I want to add one general comment here. I know it's right on the hour. Uh, it, it's the it's the volunteering part, uh, guys and uh, people uh, on the other side here. Uh, volunteering is an amazing power. Uh, volunteering also uh, uh, means that you are spending some of your time uh, which you should be spending or could be spending on other things. Um, so, I mean, volunteering works, uh, but you have to be understanding where, uh, that once you kind of volunteer to something, you, you kind of invest into the project. Um, we we are really looking forward to work uh, with the community, uh, having having a continuity in that work. I think is is uh, is sometimes also difficult for us in terms of uh, each and everyone uh, who is volunteering has their own uh, pressures, financial pressures, time pressures. Um, so that's that's my last little word. We are very much looking forward. To be uh, getting uh, your support or uh, uh, collaboration in the future. That's great. Any final questions or comments? This uh, I just have a quick one. Uh, would you make these slides from David available to us with the contact information and all? Uh, sure. Um, we can certainly. They'll be in the video, we can post them on the class site, but we can maybe take your question as a challenge to David that um, rather than solving it in generality, you know, in a few minutes, just with FabCloud as a backend, you could turn on a humanitarian project, you could make it public and you could post some content there um, just to start the content sharing right away and start an issue tracker for suggestions. So Thank we can take um, the question as a challenge to David to... to Okay. I may, I may need an, an email with some support there, Neil. I, I can help you do that. Um, okay. So Let's discuss than, that offline. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it, it, it's a good final thing. Rather than just some slides through the class site, um, uh, we can do a very lightweight, just turning on a little bit of infrastructure for you to not just share content, but also start doing things like project tracking. Sure. Clearly, and I'm I'm happy to share the slides anyway. Uh, I think Ash, Ash, was it Ashish uh, uh, who asked the yes, question? Yes, Ashish. 
Yes. Yeah, uh, no, there absolutely no problem there. But in fact, what I'd rather have is more of an interaction uh, with you. In fact, it's not for me. For me, sharing it to you is is good, and uh, it's anyway an open project. But uh, if you have any 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 ways to add, contribute, or benefit from that, please let me know. Uh, it's very important to have visibility on how people would be using that or wanted to contribute on that. So I, sure, I can help sure. you get started to use to, to share them in a way that allows feedback and collaboration. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much, Neil and everyone. Uh, and um, see you soon, I guess. Very exciting. Thank you, David. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.